Hello and welcome to episode five of Rail File. I'm Lou. I'm here with Nick. Nick, how are you this week? I'm doing pretty good, Lou. How are you doing? I'm great. It's been a great week over here. It's going to get even better. We have Walter Scriptunis on the show today. Yeah, he is really interesting, and I'm a little bit afraid that we might be hitting peak rail file uh, now. Not going to be good. It's tough to beat a guy who has uh, shot railroad operations around uh, rocket ships. It's crazy. Well, I'm excited for this interview, so let's get to it. The pick of the litter. To a little boy, the pick of the litter is the pup with the wiggliest body, waggliest tail, and steadiest legs. But to experienced dog breeders and handlers, proportion, marking, and family history are the factors which produce winners and champions. Your average coal customer, like the little boy, may not be interested in such qualifications, but he is vitally concerned about coal efficiency. He wants and demands a fuel with high heating values that burns with maximum economy and less attention. That is why he, like generations before him, wants fuel satisfaction, the bituminous coal produced along the Norfolk and Western. He has learned through years of experience that he can depend on fuel satisfaction for the steadiest, most satisfying heat. So. If you want customer satisfaction that will continue through the years and result in repeat sales, it will pay you to stock, sell, and satisfy with fuel satisfaction. Norfolk and Western Railway, Roanoke, Virginia. So, Walter, I had not familiarized myself with your full CV it's pretty impressive. Well done, sir. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've known you for a, quite some time now. Were you very, I can't even remember, were you also very active on the railpictures.net forums way back when? Yeah, back around probably what, 2007, 2008, when things were really booming. Yeah. <laughs> back in the Stone Age. Yeah, no kidding. The golden age of railpictures.net. It was, it was fun back then. I learned a lot, met some good people. Oh, yeah, um, no, there absolutely. Was, there were some amazing photos posted. They just tanked. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't I would, though. I would never say a bad word about them, but, uh, you know. <laughs> You've I never been known to, but no. I, but I don't have much else to say, you know. But, yes, oh, there was gosh. a fantastic community there way back when. There very well still could be. I'm just not a part of it. Well, that's how we met, Nick. Remember, I what, used your camera for that last shuttle launch, too, remember? Uh, yes, I do remember that. I, I do have some strange attachment to the... Uh, space shuttle program now you know oh, it's so random <laughs> yeah it's really crazy so what's funny about that picture of course from that camera is that the Im images that we've taken that both i and walter took with that camera body have been published in trains and now <laughs> that camera body is in the hands of another capable rail fan in north dakota so hopefully the legacy will live on and, oh, the, that's photo, fantastic. and the photo of mine in trains was of a rocket so it's so weird yeah that's hilarious <laughs> Well, hopefully you'll have a chance to get a train picture published someday, Walter. Yeah, your you'll fingers. have your moment, Walter. <laughs> Don't you worry. Things. I hope it happens for you. <laughs> We're all pulling for you, you know? <laughs> so anyway, Walter, uh, through a series of crazy events, you're now a full-time professional photographer, more or less? Yes, correct. Um, I, That's awesome. Yeah, doing a little bit of everything from racing to landscapes uh, to rocket launches. <laughs> 
Oh, that's so wild. Yeah. Um, okay. So obviously this is, uh, not on topic, but just, can you give us the, the quick summary on what goes into f- shooting a rocket launch? So basically I arrive at the launch pad a day before launch, uh, depending on the situation, I usually have an escort or sometimes I escort myself. I have clearance. I will set my cameras up, usually five to seven of them around the launch pad. The biggest thing to worry about is not really the rocket, it's the weather out there because you've got torrential rain downpours some days, high winds. So you really want to stake those cameras down, have them bagged or in a, uh, for some of my cameras, I have them in uh, Pelican boxes with a uh, hole cut out the front. So uh, it's pretty involved. It's totally different. And just to clarify here, we're talking about actual like space ship rockets exactly 20 story tall that's rockets awesome. going to the mars the moon wherever so walter how how do you trigger your cameras when you're shooting seven cameras from across probably you know multiple miles away how do you get them all to talk to each other yeah so once i set up a camera a day before launch or if it scrubs two or three days before launch um i have no access to that camera so the camera is triggered by a uh, sound trigger. So once those um, engines ignite, the camera starts firing until the rocket's gone. Wow. Do you have any control over settings or anything like that from where you are? Or are you just I, I do hoping not, for the best? I do not have any control okay. over settings. What I'll usually do is, um, you know, check weather reports, wind directions, all that fun stuff. If it looks like it's going to be cloudy, I might shoot aperture priority. Um, and, okay. And um, if it's going to be a uh, nighttime launch, middle of the night, I pretty much know what settings to use. So I'll do manual. If it's going to be sunrise or sunset, twilight, I will do aperture priority. And the cannons are great. They like nail the exposure every time. So the rockets can't get there without some sort of rail support, as far as I know. Um, have you been able to shoot railroad operations around the rocket launches at all? Yeah, if you've ever found yourself on a launch pad, you will see rail infrastructure almost everywhere. Railroad tracks, rail cars. Um, recently, I was uh, photographing an Atlas V launch in Cape Canaveral, and they use uh, track mobiles to move the uh, 20-story tall Atlas V rocket to the pad. They use uh, three track mobiles. And the actual launch platform is on a series of rail cars and all the support equipment. So the trackmobiles roll at about, I believe it's about 1,700 feet from the vertical integration facility where the rocket's stacked for launch to the launch pad. And uh, at this particular pad, they have been using rail transport since the mid-1960s. They started with uh, EMDSW-8 locomotives by the Air Force. And uh, now they're using track mobiles. That's crazy. So the the rocket launches off of a series of rail cars. Basically, well, the lo- the launch pad is on rails. Well, I, well, once it gets to the pad, they will do a hard down, and actually, the most of the rail cars come out from under it. So the rail cars are only oh, used okay. for the transport to the pad. So now is this this is different from the uh, the crawler that had the Alco Prime movers in it, correct? Exactly. The space shuttle and Saturn V rockets used the uh, crawler, so it went down okay. a crawler way from the uh, vehicle assembly building to the launch pad. And but um, those uh, basically ran on uh, rock, but the tracking bills actually run on rail. So 
That is so cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it was super it's, crazy. It's, it's <laughs> fascinating to see these little, you know, track mobiles move this huge object. You know, I was my only even slightly, you know, close to this that I've ever shot. I went to the VLA, the very large array out there in New Mexico, and they've got those those lifting locomotives that move the the radio antennas. And uh, that's cool on its own. And, you know, it's not not nearly what you're shooting. So I can only imagine what it must be like to you know be there next to this stuff. Yeah, it was great. I had been, you know, I've been photographing these launches for years, close to 50 now. And um, I've always noticed, you know, the track mobiles when I go out to the launch pad, but usually we don't have access to them. So finally, last uh, earlier this month, I was able to get access and photograph their uh, movements and climb up into the cab, which was a lot roomier than I expected. It was pretty nice. And this locomotive actually has a steering wheel so it can go down the road. That was pretty interesting to see. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> I suppose they do, don't they? Yes. They have wheels. So it's a it's a railroad operation in as much as they run on rails i mean is it is it dispatched do they do they have track warrants I mean, how does that all work well it's all it's no i don't believe so i'm not totally sure on all the details about track warrants and stuff but i do not believe i'm sure they have their own you know regulations and stuff but it's not connected to any of the outside world like it used I, I can't imagine they have got to take the siding for another rocket or anything <laughs> well maybe in the future if it keeps getting busier that's true um that's, that's awesome yeah, it's it's pretty great um so the those track mobiles are used that's in conjunction with the atlas 5 um launch that you were talking about yeah the track mobiles are only used at this one particular pad it's space launch complex 41 i know previously nasa for the space shuttle program, they utilized rail in addition. Obviously, things were on the crawler when they were moving to the launch pad, but there was some uh, rail uh, railroad activity associated with moving um, fuel or some components uh, to the assembly building or something. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so the uh, solid rocket boosters are uh, manufactured in uh, Utah at uh, Orbital ATK. So they are transferred transported by rail all the way from Utah to Kennedy Space Center in Florida. I think I'm going to touch back on the track mobiles again because I'm thinking that stretch of railroad, even though it's just like 1,600 feet, you got to think of how important that stretch of line is because it's transporting some of the most important objects, you know, military satellites, uh, Mars rovers are going over that stretch of rail. And those are only the things you know about uh, as far as payloads. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's just a weather satellite. It's yeah, nothing exactly. to be concerned about. It's a about, weather you know? balloon. Don't look at it. Exactly. <laughs> please, please turn away. <laughs> no tape measures. Um, the okay. So you were talking about the solid rocket boosters are transported down by rail. Is is are we speaking in past tense? Are they done with that now that the shuttle program's over, or is that still something that happens? So the shuttle program ended in 2011. Um, and that was the end of the solid rocket boosters for the shuttle that were transported by rail. But NASA has a new rocket coming online called the uh, Space Launch System. And uh, it's been delayed a few years. The marketing behind that name is just amazing. Oh, it's, yeah. It's... <laughs> Walter's not going to say anything bad about that on tape. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> he's got a he's got a hand feeding him, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. Um... So anyway. Uh, it's going to be an amazing rocket. It's going to take us to Mars and beyond. And my fingers are crossed that 
it does indeed launch in a few years because it's going to be incredible. But it's also going to use solid rocket boosters. So those boosters will once again come from Utah and they will be transported. Oh, by that'll rail. be awesome. Yeah. So uh, Union Pacific will transport them part way, then uh, maybe CSX, then it goes down the 40 East Coast to uh, Cape Canaveral. I've done some work at the uh, Gold Coast Railroad Museum in Miami, and they've got they've got a number of, of pieces from the NASA Rail Program. They've got a, they've got an Alco and they've got an MP15, but they've also got one of the um, with the skirt cars that they they use to to transport the solid rocket boosters around Cape Canaveral, and that is just it's so cool. That is so cool. Yeah, I'm hoping when they ship the SOS boosters, I'll have some kind of access to that. So that will be fun. Yeah, we're all rooting for you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So probably going to be another year or two out. So I was clicking around on your um, trains newswire pieces, and I see that there is some involvement from Iowa Northern down there somewhere. What's the deal with that? Okay, so a couple years ago, with the lack of need for rail travel around Kennedy Space Center, they, uh, NASA discontinued the NASA Railroad. So they got rid of all the uh, diesel locomotive switchers and they went to museums or short lines around the country. Um, so eventually, once SOS begins, they're going to need a way to transport the boosters from the interchange by the 40s coast to the launch site. So NASA is going to work with contractors to move the materials around the Cape instead of using their own locomotives. So um, I believe it was the Iowa Northern. I can't remember exactly. I think that's what you said. Yeah. Yeah, they were the uh, contractor that got selected, and they came down, the crew, and uh, they were at Kennedy Space Center for a few weeks, you know, working at the Space Center doing, um, they moved, um, you know, test articles around into different facilities and just filling things out for the future. Just another day in the normal life of a railroader. <laughs> exactly. Moving rocket ships. They had a great time, you know, coming down from, you know. I mean, that's not to disparage Iowa at all, but it's a little bit different than I, uh, Florida. Yeah, you know? they were, they were yeah. real happy to come to Florida for a few weeks. Especially that's during, fantastic. Especially during the winter. Huh. I mean, it is pretty much the same as a big ethanol train, so. Yeah. I mean, there's a few subtle differences. But, yeah, slightly. You know. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So did you ever have an opportunity to shoot any of the NASA railroad operations before that got uh, wound down? Or were you kind of on the tail end of that? I was on the tail end. I never got them moving around. Um, actually, my first time I actually saw one of the locomotives moving, I think I was inside the vehicle semi building, looking out the massive doors, and I saw this little switcher just moving down the tracks. That was pretty neat. A couple of years after the shuttle program ended, um, one of the uh, public affairs officers at Kennedy Space Center, uh, George Diller, he's a uh, huge rail fan. You've never heard his name, I'm sure, but he's got one of the most familiar voices. He's the one that always calls the launch. So the guy's saying five, four, three, two, one, liftoff of Space Shuttle Atlantis. He has this iconic voice, but he's a great guy. And um, oh, well, why are we talking to you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, he might want to talk. That might be a good segment. He's That's great. Awesome. <laughs> so one day we went over to the uh, their facility at the Cape um, at Kennedy Space Center and uh, climbed up onto the locomotive and took some photos of the guys. And they were all very friendly. It was a lot of fun. So I got some neat shots there. 
all of that rail infrastructure we've been talking about, that's all stuff that's out in Florida. Correct. Um, you've had the opportunity to shoot launches uh, in California, too. Is that correct? Yeah, at Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is... Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a lot different going out there because Vandenberg's home to all the missile defense systems. So uh, it's a lot more secure. Oh, um, yeah, so... Uh, you need a lot of badges to work there with a camera, don't you? I've got a couple, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah. Do they have any rail infrastructure that's associated with that that you're able to speak about? <laughs> um, really not that I know of. I mean, but okay. the cool thing is the Amtrak Surfliner rolls straight through base there. So when a rocket goes up, they have to shut down the, the rail line for a few hours. No kidding. Back during the Cold War era and all that stuff, when the trains would go through Vandenberg, they would make sure they had to shut all the blinds on all the cars when they were and block them out. So they couldn't oh, access awesome. so nobody could see what they were going through. Huh. Yeah, when that's I'm at, wild. Yeah, 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 it is pretty crazy. When I'm out at the launch pad, I will, you know, hear the horn occasionally and but I've really never seen the train. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very cool. I'd love to rail fan out there at Vandenberg because there's some really cool places, but unfortunately I can't take photos at most of those spaces. So. so Walter, I see a lot of your photography, you know, obviously it the camera's taking pictures and there's lots of exhaust from the rocket coming at you. Does that damage cameras? I mean, like, is, is it like some, does it leave any residue on your, on your glass or anything like that? Oh yeah. Some of the launches that use solid rocket boosters, that stuff is highly corrosive. So once it hits your camera lens, it'll basically take off the coating of your lens. Um, and it'll Ooh. leave uh, tons of pitting on the lens, just very, very small pits everywhere. Thousands of them. Um, so I take it you use a lot of UV filters then? Uh, actually, no. Um, UV filters, it's just another element that can cause, like, if it sits overnight, um, dew can get inside the lens, so more moisture. Oh, I bet you learned that the hard way, didn't uh, you? Yeah, a couple of times. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> one of the best things I use at the launch pad are hand warmers. It takes away dew. Um, so I put them on a lens. It keeps them warm. But um, sure. Nice. Uh, sometimes if I, there's a shot I need, um, I'll just use a really cheap Canon 18 to 55. It works just fine. Um, more recently I've been using, um, my, uh, Pelican cases. So I built these cases and, um, cut a hole out the front and put a piece of, uh, acrylic glass, um, on front. So, um, it gets sandblasted, gets all the shots I need, just pop it out, replace it. It's super easy. Cost you know, a few cents. So. Yeah, that's a that's a pro move right yeah. there. I like uh, that. I'm, a, I'm I was I'm quite happy. I'm quite proud of my boxes. Yeah, a lot of the places you'll set out at the pad, um, you won't have anything get on your lenses. But you know, there's certain places near the flame trench where all the billowing smoke's coming out. That's where you got to worry about. So for those Pelican boxes, are you making something that's basically has a watertight seal and? Or, or, you know, a relatively good seal and like a tripod mount on the bottom? Or what exactly does that does that consist of? Yeah, exactly. I use a tripod mount, um, you know, various uh, fittings and attachments. And uh, um, for some spots, I might super clamp it to a railing. Others, there will be tripod. Um, then you also have to really stake it into the ground with, you know, camping stakes um, and, yeah, tie wraps. Because it will it will blow the camera over, or send it flying a few hundred feet. So, yeah, that's good. If you're a new photographer and don't know what a super clamp is, 
uh, Google that because that changed my life. <laughs> oh, they're amazing. Super clamps are the yes, greatest are. things on earth. They you can Google great. it. It's a little widget that uh, it's not unlike the space shuttle arm, uh, the Canada arm, you know, clamps on one end and then you can put a little ball head or, or something like that on the other end and you loosen it and tighten it and reposition it. And it's really cool. But um, a lot of people ask me like, uh, man, have you destroyed any cameras and stuff? I really haven't. I've only destroyed like a couple lenses before, um, mainly from that sandblasting from the rockets. Um, and some lenses I've replaced the front elements on, went onto eBay and found, you know, replacement front element. But you just got to be smart about where you set up and stuff like that. I can imagine, you know, your shots, it seems like you're stop, you'd have to stop down a fair amount in order to, you know, not not blow out your exposure once the uh, once the thing launches. So you know, pretty much any piece of glass is decent around F8 or F11, I would I would guess, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you really don't notice the quality difference. And, you know, someone looking at one of these shots, it's going to be pointing out that that's slightly soft over on the right hand corner. So you learn to overcome that stuff. And that 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 kind of stuff made me grow as a photographer because I'm shooting these launches and you shoot in all kinds of different weather and you have to get it right no matter what the circumstances is. So it's not always sunny days at the launch pad. Although they do, they do sort of make their own light, don't they? Yeah, exactly. They do. Um, yes, exposures stay pretty consistent, especially at night. I'm just imagining a whole bunch of photography assistants standing there with reflectors <laughs> uh, as the stress... <laughs> As it goes off and uh, adjusting them to keep the light nice. Well, the funny yeah, thing fill of, light is so important. <laughs> the funny thing about that is actually is some of these pads, they have these you know, large um, integration facilities, like these large skyscraper buildings, you know, where they, you know, stack these rockets. And they're usually painted white. So they actually provide that bounce light for the rocket. So it lights it up. So oh, that's yeah. nice. That's very thoughtful of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... And, and, yeah, knowing the engineers involved, that's probably like the most reflective enamel paint that's ever been engineered by man. Exactly. <laughs> Only $12 million a gallon. So, so Walter, I, I asked this question of all of our guests, and, and it, it's, it's interesting because you are, uh, you've got a pretty unique niche in the world of photography. Um, so somebody wants to start doing what you do. Somebody wants to go shoot rocket launches. Somebody wants to be a part of that world. How do you start? What do you do? Well, it's interesting because, you know, anybody can attend a rocket launch, but you're usually going to be 10 miles away. Or if you get viewing passes, maybe three or four miles away. So to get these up close shots like I get, you have to have a media access, um, so your best bet is to get on with a space news outlet. And that's basically how I started. Um, I had a uh, relative of a friend that actually worked at CAS, and she worked at Kennedy Space Center. And uh, she was able to get me viewing passes for uh, one of the final space shuttle launches. Um, it was great. Best view, closest anybody can get, three miles away. But I wanted more. Um, so... Uh, a friend of mine in Kentucky, uh, Chris Anderson, who's a, also a fellow rail fan, worked at a newspaper at the time, and uh, he was able to help me get badged for uh, one of the final shuttle launches. So uh, I achieved that goal, and I was able to, you know, learn about setting cameras at the pad. Um, and I had two launches to get these, you know, shots that I always wanted, these remote camera shots of the space shuttle because the program's ending. 
So the second to final launch, um, I got everything set up and everything's great. Um, it, the launch uh, gets delayed a week, so I had to go pick up my cameras, um, reset everything. I come back a week later and set up cameras again for the same launch. Um, I believe I set up uh, three or four cameras for that launch. Um, it's great. The rocket launches. I go out to the pad, all excited to check out my cameras, and I get there. Huge disappointment. Only one camera worked. It was thrilling. Oh yeah, man! It, yeah, no. yeah, it was. It was thrilling. I mean, I still got a really cool shot from it, but I was so bummed, you know, because I only have one more shot left to get these remote camera shots of the space shuttle. And uh, sure. yeah, so the final launch of the space shuttle. Um, I'm out there again. I set up, uh, I believe, four cameras for that final shuttle launch. And um, actually, one of the triggers, the sound triggers, I actually built myself, which was interesting. Um, and, um, it was the most stressful situation I've ever been in. I go out to the launch pad a couple of days before launch, set up all my cameras. The day before launch is one of the worst, most crazy rainstorms I've ever seen. And I'm just like, I am screwed. <laughs> Luckily, one of the escorts at the time took me out of the pad. I get out to the pad. This was actually your camera, Nick. <laughs> So, uh, oh, fantastic. Now, now I'm getting the full story. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't your lens. I get out there, take my lens off, literally pour water out of it. Oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Walter. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, about that. Look here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, luckily. Finally come clean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, I'm uh, glad I've been able to lift that weight off your shoulders, Walter. <laughs> Eight years in the making. <laughs> so, uh, oh, man. So, well, that's um, water under the bridge and yeah. out of the camera, as they say. Yeah. All right, I'll keep on going. I'm interested to hear how this turns out now. <laughs> yeah, so, so luckily I had another wide-angle lens. I put it on, um, and out at the launch pad, it is surrounded by swamps, lagoons. You have the mosquitoes that are like the size of birds. They are huge, and they're constantly buzzing. And they are, it, it was the most miserable situation I've ever been in, but it was also the most incredible situation I've ever been in because I am at the pad that night, it's pouring the rain, and I'm actually inside the pad fence, which was an incredible opportunity I was able to get because most media were only able to set up outside the fence. So it's good to make friends at the public affairs office there. <laughs> um, yeah, no kidding. So um, I'm in there setting up my cameras. You know, the shuttle's 500 feet away. It's launching for the final time tomorrow. The bright xenon lights are coming on around the pad. They're casting this huge beam of light on the space shuttle. And it's literally nothing a video camera, a still camera can capture. It felt like a movie scene, you know, coming up to this launch pad. And this, the shuttle's just bathed in this incredible light. And, um, yeah, I'm at the pad and stressing about my cameras. I've got this. You know, the space shuttle is launching, you know, in less than 24 hours. It was, it was surreal. It was very surreal. But I got the cameras fixed. Um, I left the pad. I was actually one of the last, one of the last non-essential personnel to leave the pad that night, which was also blew my mind. And um, so I leave the pad, um, come back the next day. Atlantis launches for the last time. 
I am extremely emotional because I have grown. I've made a ton of friends there that I'll probably never see again. A lot of these people I've worked around will be getting laid off. It's the last shuttle launch. Um, did my cameras fire? So about three hours after launch, drive out to the pad. Every camera worked. Um, ecstatic oh, and crazy. That's the happiest ending possible. <laughs> it was. It I was, can now return from the edge of my seat. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, text, yeah, text Nick, your camera's great. Nothing got on it. No. <laughs> yeah, all the water, uh, you know, hopefully yeah. the bag of rice will work. You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely no water in that camera. Don't even ask eight years later. <laughs> oh, talk about a bittersweet thing, though. That's uh, crazy. I can't even imagine being there. That's wild. It was, it was amazing. It was so happy to be there and be a part of history. It was just incredible. It was something I'll never forget. The score is the important thing. The ice hockey goalie's job is just the reverse of the traffic manager's. He wants to see that nothing gets in. You want to make sure everything gets out. But in both cases, the final score is the important thing. Your company figures the final score on the basis of profits. Your skill in shipping your product quickly, safely, and economically is reflected directly in the final score. For profitable shipping service, use Norfolk & Western Precise Transportation. For prompt, dependable assistance with your shipping problems, routine or specialized, call in a Norfolk & Western freight representative. These men, located in principal cities, understand your problems. Call on them. They're as near as your telephone. Ready to help you roll up the final score just as high as possible. Norfolk & Western Railway, Roanoke, Virginia. We're chatting with Walter Scriptunis right now. Now we've covered some space stuff. Now let's talk about the circus train, Walter. Yeah. So um, the circus, you know, made its yearly stop in uh, Charleston. So, um, you know, a couple of years before it shut down, um, I'd never really uh, photographed the train coming into town. I had no clue when it arrived. Um, I'm a rail fan, but I've never really, I don't photograph much mainline stuff. So I hooked up with a buddy, Sam Phillips, an incredible photographer, of course, and um, we uh, chased the circus train down the uh, Virginia line into Charleston. And um, that was uh, two years ago now. And that was an incredible experience, watching the train coming to town, all the performers waving from the train. And this was the year um, the elephants were being phased out. So I believe Charleston was the uh, second to last stop for the elephants. So um, I was able to get them uh, unloading from the train, which was really cool. I got some incredible access to that. Um, and um, I actually made a few friends on the uh, circus train, which was really cool. Um, and that was such a neat tradition coming into town. You know, always as a kid, I would be so excited every year for the circus to come. So it was uh, sad to see it go away. So uh, I photographed that that year watched the elephants be uh loaded up again and as the train would go by you'd see their trunk through the grating on the door moving around then uh that's, oh that's yeah, crazy it was very cool then uh last year um um it was announced you know a couple months before they came to charleston that uh charleston would be the second to final city they would come to so a lot of the stuff they were doing in charleston was the last ever so um I got to, uh, you know, photograph um, 
the uh, loadout uh, the evening before they left. So all the circus wagons being loaded up on the train. That was really neat. Um, then the following day, the last official circus train trip uh, left Charleston. So I photographed it leaving town and through uh, West Virginia. Were you able to get any access to do any interior photography or were you just outside as a rail fan? Yeah, through a friend on the train, I was able to get inside a couple of the cars and check that out inside the diner. So that was really neat to see how those guys lived. And, you know, it was, it was kind of bittersweet. It reminded me a lot of the shuttle, um, how that ended. And those guys were all getting laid off and it was the same with the circus. You know, their life was being turned upside down, too. Because a lot of these people, you know, that was their only house they had. They lived on this train full time. Well, and talk about a niche skill set, too. That's got to be really tough for a lot of those guys. Yeah, not many uh, places looking for someone to be shot out of a cannon. I know that. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. I know that um, as that wound down, I know those cars ended up all over the place. And I know, Lou, you kind of ended up being involved with some of that. I've got I've got seven. I've got 17 of them right now. Yeah. 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 I work, I work for a, a client who, uh, he has 17 of those cars here in Stearns in various stages of being rebuilt or being ignored. In fact, um, my railroad in French Lick, we just bought one. We bought the former Norfolk and Western Pulaski County That's cool. and we're going to turn that into a dinner car. Nice. It's going to be really cool. Stories, yeah. the stories those cars could tell, I'm sure. <laughs> Man. Um, yeah, I actually, I shot that coming out of Roanoke. Um, it was the, they, they were, they ran really late coming out of, um, I don't even know where that, maybe they're coming from Charleston. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, the, the train Blue, went up to Bluefield and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it got like super delayed and we ended up getting it, um, getting it in solitude, like in daylight. It was, it was real, it was really cool. Arcadia in, in daylight. It was just like, this is awesome. And then I got it the next day going through my hometown of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Awesome. I'm glad I got out to shoot it. Cause it was, it's me too. It was Absolutely. It is. And it was such a cool train. I, you know, the, it was the longest passenger train in North America. And, you know, from a, from passenger car nerd standpoint, some of those cars were like, you know, where else are you going to find six axle trucks with roller bearings? I mean, oh, come yeah. on. That's, yep. that's wild. <laughs> and people lived on it full time. It's I crazy. Know. Oh, absolutely. You'll, you'll never see anything like that again, unfortunately, probably. Yeah, it's a shame. <clears throat> I, I'm not, uh, I don't have the trains map of the month that shows all of the routing on it in front of me, but I don't think if they ever made it to the Twin Cities, it was infrequently because I, I can't recall ever. I never I know I've never seen it myself in person. And um, I don't think I've seen shots of them up here either. So, yeah, I was lucky with Charleston because a lot of these cities I go to, the uh, animal rights activists, you know, just killed them. Um, you know, they'd be throwing stuff at them. And, but when they came to West Virginia, you know, they were pretty much uh, um, welcome with open arms. So they kind of let you they felt a little more comfortable. So I was yeah, luckily they had the guys there standing with the electric pods, handing them out, you know, yeah. it's pretty nice and welcoming. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So luckily I was able to get pretty close to like the elephants getting off the train. And that was so neat sure. to see because, you know, where else are you going to see animals getting off a train like that? I suppose that is a really lucky set of circumstances because uh, that's not even something I'd considered. I bet they keep the public at bay normally during all of that, I suppose. huh? Yeah, kind of. Or they did. And even then, I mean, it, it was still kind of dangerous because they are wild animals. So they still kind of keep you away. So I would sometimes sneak around the building to get a little closer and stuff like that. <laughs> so <laughs> it worked out well. <laughs> Got the shot. Yeah. 
Well, that's the oldest trick in the elephant foaming book, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> next time you're off photographing elephants, getting off a train, there's your tip. <laughs> <laughs> elephant photography with Walter Scriptunas. Exactly. Well, that's going to be the next podcast we have is going to be just talking elephants. We got this. <laughs> Pachyderm file. Trunk to tail, everything you need to know. Who Who is doing the rail operations with circus stuff now is there anyone who's left doing any circus stuff by rail or is that totally done now i don't believe so i think it's totally done okay yeah, that one, yeah there was that that other that, that smaller one but they don't run all the time do they no that's more like a carnival right that what james Strait or whatever something like that yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's more like a carnival that's the greatest put down <laughs> uh, those amateurs over there if you don't know what you're talking about, maybe you'd call it a circus. But yeah, exactly. Between you and me, we both know that's nothing more than a carnival. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's just that's just simple carnival folk. Yeah, Two rings but... at most. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've been listening to a conversation with Walter Scriptunis. Walter, thanks for being on the show today. Well, thank you. I had a ton of fun. It was great talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you, Walter. It was fantastic. This has been episode five of Rail File. We had a great conversation with Walter Scriptunis. A big thanks to him for hanging out on the show. As always, you can listen to future and previous episodes on the World Wide Web at railfile.com. You can download the podcast wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until next time, I'm Lou. He's Nick. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.